We are privileged this morning to uh, have a dear brother uh, in the Lord um, and bring God's word. I've known Michael for was it Michael twenty one years? Boston, we were doing that, and I said, 
California, and I really want to work in the church. I don't want to work alongside the church. I want to work in the church. So uh, that was uh, shortly before um, Pastor Richie and I first connected. We, we came on the staff about the same time. Uh, we didn't know each other prior to that, and yet we were leading in very similar areas of ministry. And God really used our relationship to shape in me some, some really um, <coughs> important things. And one of the things, he, he doesn't even know this, right? So when I first met Pastor Richie and we were doing ministry side by side, one of the things he did that I thought was incredible is he knew how to ask questions. And, and most pastors, you know, we don't know how to ask questions. We know how to give a lot of answers, right? I mean, yeah, you're all laughing. That's true, right? But he would ask these questions, and I, I remember thinking to myself, I want to learn to ask questions like that. Like, I want to learn how to listen to someone and just ask a question and let them sort of sort out what's going on. And I thought, that is an incredible gift. And, and, and I think God naturally, I think God gave it to him. For me, I had to learn it, right? If, if, is there anyone out there that everything you have to learn? Like, I have to learn everything. Like, yeah. like there seems like there's nothing that's just natural. I have to find it, go, oh, that's naturally in you? Okay, now I have to learn it. Because I, I can't, I, I just, I'm just not that gifted. So so the, um, so the then I, I went on that journey, and I just kept on going slowly to learn how to ask better questions rather than giving a bunch of answers. And so even in your message notes today, it's all just questions for you. It's, it's just all questions, because I think the questions get us far further down the road in our relationship with the Lord than, than someone giving you a pat answer, someone giving you the right answer. And you begin to, to have a relationship with God, and this is where God really trained this gift out in me, was I was left many times sitting with the Lord, reading his word, and I ended up with far more questions in the end than I did answers. And so I just started asking myself these questions trying to sit in these questions. And, you know, I can really overthink. I, I mean, I, I, I have a friend. He, he's a, he was a Marine, a, a, a helicopter pilot. And one day we're, we're driving, and before we had kids, and he and his wife are in the car, my wife, Corey, and I are in the car, and I'm telling him something, and then I have all these thoughts going in my head, and I'm, I'm, speak, I'm, giving, I'm saying them all aloud, and he goes, and now he's a trained, okay, he flies um, Cobra helicopters, so... I sat in this helicopter once when it was on the ground, and you know, they wear the helmet, and there's a thing that hooks in the back of the helmet, and anywhere your head turns, the guns go boom. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, this is crazy. And so he, he, and it's thin, I mean, I was skinnier then, I could fit in now, I'm out of luck, you know, and so, so, you know, I'm in this helicopter, this guy, you know, he's, he's trained to make split second decisions. Right? He's trained to make choices, to think quickly, execute a plan. And here I am talking to him about something. It's one, one thought after another and another question. So now here, this gift that Richie gave, you know, I borrowed from him, has become a curse. And, and I'm sitting there asking all these questions, right? And, um, and he looks at me and he goes, man, you think too much. And I thought... I'm insulted, but I think I'm supposed to hear that. So then I, you know, I, so I got insulted. Then I think, okay, I need to hear that. And so, you know, these questions today that you have on the sheet that I provide are really just for you to reflect, to step back and go, where am I? 
They're not to point at you with this crooked finger of guilt or shame. They're really to say, hey, as you reflect throughout this message, after the service, whatever it is, you know, here's some things to think about. Rather than, here's what you're supposed to think. Okay, so that, that's where it's coming from. So I want to share uh, the passage of scripture I'm going to be teaching from today. So, so uh, if you have your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to be in verse 1. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 1, let me, let me give you a little bit of background in, in, this, in this section of scripture. Over a decade ago, um, the Lord was calling me out of full-time pastoral ministry. I didn't know he was calling me out of it yet. I, I, didn't, I didn't get it yet. But, but he started shaking things up in my life, and he began to call me out of full-time pastoral ministry. And and what, what and that's when I, you know, it's funny today, because my children, I have one of, one of my kids isn't here. She's 18. She's up at college, or down at college, because we live south. She's at college, and then I have a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And... Um, and it was funny, one day we st I stepped back and I thought, oh my goodness, my nine-year-old only knows me as a business owner. She doesn't know me as a pastor. Like she doesn't, like with the older ones, like Michael, he's 16. There were times where I'd be preaching, uh, doing youth ministry, and he'd be in my arms. And I'd be, you know, I'd just be doing my thing and he'd be in my arms. But, but Kira, our youngest, doesn't remember that because God was calling me about the same time uh, we were blessed to have her enter into our family. You know, my wife, we all of a sudden found out we were having a fourth child, and we thought, oh, we're getting into Latanza territory here. Seriously, I wish I'd called him more times to say, okay, wait, wait, okay, this is all zone defense. I don't quite know how to handle this. You can't control five person, four, four personalities. Um, so, so here, you know, so, so God is shaking me up. We're getting ready to have our fourth child. He's calling me out of full-time vocational ministry. So what he essentially is doing is he's calling me out of my livelihood. That was my livelihood. He's calling me out of my livelihood into this, like, what's next? And he began to call me into what I call marketplace ministry, the mission field of the marketplace. And he was said, you know, he essentially said to me, you're going to, you're going to leave the comfort of your church, because I, I know how to do church. I was good at that. Now I had to learn how to develop a business and figure out what that meant that God was calling me to, and how is my faith integrating into it. And so today, that's what I do. I, I, I work with Christians in the marketplace, and non-Christians, but, but many Christians in the marketplace to say, how are you integrating in your life to be a great business person and a great father and ultimately a great follower of Jesus Christ. And so he began to kind of shake that inside of me. And early on, like I said a decade ago, this message came. It's called, it's Beyond the Water's Edge. I was reading Luke 5, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and this is what came. So I'm gonna, let me read, and then I'll share um, kind of where we're going with it. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat and taught the people from the boat. 
When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put it out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet, Jesus' knees, and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. It's an amazing story. I mean, when I talk about the marketplace, these fishermen, they were just coming home from a, day, a night of work. They were working the night shift on their boats. They went out for a day of work, and they came back with no profit. Zero profit. Not, no fish in their nets. No fish to sell. A bad day at work, right? You ever have a day at work like that? Where you work hard all day and you have really nothing to show for it. And they have nothing to show for it. Now, what we don't pick up here, and you'll have a couple other references to this Luke 5 verse, is that Simon and the other fishermen had met Jesus before. So they already recognized who he was. They knew he was around. They knew he was a, a man of God. They knew he was a rabbi and a teacher. But it sort of stopped there because they met him. And then he went back to work. So now think about this. He's teaching. It says that Jesus is teaching by the lake of Gennesaret. The people are pressing against him. So they're crowning him. And in order to get a little bit of distance from the people so that he can teach and not be crushed, he gets in, he sees the boats at the water's edge. He climbs into one of the boats. Then he says, hey, hey, uh, fishermen, busy cleaning your nets. Now, I was thinking about this the other day. Like, if we were cleaning nets, what we would be doing today is we'd have a hose, and we'd be hosing it off, and probably hanging it up, and have some modern equipment. I was thinking, wow, cleaning the nets must have been a lot of hard work, because it wasn't like they had a hose that they could hook to a, to a faucet and, and just spray, right? So here they are, terrible night of work, no fish, bring, no, bring home no fish at all. Now they're cleaning their nets. The nets are almost clean, and Jesus says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Now, okay, for the holy people in the room, you're going, yes. But for the rest of us, we're like, oh, really? Like, can I just go home, go to sleep, put the day behind me, start again tomorrow, and set this whole bad day behind and start a new day? But because of, you know, Simon and Peter's respect for this great teacher, he says, okay, Come, come in the boat. I'm going to put out a little for sure. Now, I wonder what his posture was in the boat. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I wonder if he was, like, sitting up and listening, kind of on the edge of his seat, or if he was slumped down, like, come on, kids, this sermon's going along. Kind of like what some of you are doing right now. So, so it, you know, this whole thing. You know, I wonder what was going on in that moment. We don't know. But what we do know is that he said yes to Jesus. He allowed Jesus to meet him at the water's edge, and he allowed Jesus to climb.
climbing to his boat, and he allowed Jesus the time to preach to the people. We know that he was open to allowing Jesus to come to the boat. That much we know. So let, let me. So, so this this message came to me, and it was this whole thing a decade ago of we have to meet Jesus at the water's edge, and we need to be willing to let him climb into our lives. And as he climbs into our life situations, we get to experience the fullness that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes of, of full nets and sinking boats and, and all of these terribly scary, frightening things that are like, oh, but I'm close to Jesus. I'm so close to him. I'm scared out of my mind of what's going on right now, but I'm so close to him that I want to be here. I mean, that's what they were experiencing. I'll get into that a little bit more in a second. But, but here I was, and I was excited. God's calling me out of, out of full-time ministry in a church. He's calling me into the marketplace. He's saying, go be a missionary to, to business people. Go do this thing. And, and I'm doing all of that, and I've got this great big message to share. And then guess what I did? I started a business, and everything went bad. Okay, you ever, you know, everything started going bad. So let me tell you what happened about two years ago. Um, I went to Estes Park. Two years ago, I go to Estes Park. Let me give you, here's what was happening prior to my trip in Estes Park, Colorado. I was, I was, I ended up in a place similar to this. It was a little more of a waterfall, but I couldn't find that picture. So I'm in this beautiful, majestic place. Has anyone ever been there? You ever been to Estes Park, Colorado? Okay, I've got a couple. Everyone needs to go there. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. There's like elf walking around the road. Like there's more elf than cars, you know? And, and, and it's, it, they're out there, and it's just Beautiful, beautiful place. Rocky Mountain National Park right there. And so I, I'm getting ready to go to Estes Park. I was, in a, I was in a business meeting, and this guy stood up in the front. His name is Tim Bulkey. He goes, hey, I'm doing a thing called Road Journey. We want a bunch of you men to sign up and come to this two-year program that we're running for, for, for Christian men. And, and so I sign up, and I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to go to Estes Park. Um, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to experience God there. I'm going to meet some other men from around the country there. And, 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 and as I'm getting ready to go to Estes Park, here's what happens. In the time leading up to go to Estes Park, um, my mother, who has since passed away, came to live with us very abruptly, sort of in a moment's notice, came to live with us as she was going into the worst years of her life uh, with her dementia. Okay, so, so, so all of the things that come along with that, if any of you struggled with that in your so we had that going on. Um, we had, uh, that was happening. Then all of these contracts I had nurtured and worked on in my business were all drying up. All drying up. As I was getting ready to leave for us Park, everything was drying up. My business was drying up because I was taking care of my mom. And I couldn't figure out how to do the mom thing and do the work thing. And, and, and so that was drying up. And then on top of that, I had a, I had a contractor, uh, uh, an employee working for me. She, she was working as an independent contractor. And, and, I, and I'm checking my, what, my email system, and I, and I went into her email account, and she stole $20,000 worth of work from me. And, and here I am going to Estes Park, and I look at my wife, and I go, Corey, how can I leave for this when this is happening, this is happening, this is happening? And, and she does in my life what she often does. She goes, go. And she doesn't sort of give me a lot of options. There's times in life, I've got a few stories, I'll tell them after, about when she just, you know, she's an activator, so she just go to the next thing, just go. So, 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 so I've got all that going on, and, and so now, not only that, I'm riding on um, an airline 
that doesn't have padded seats, you know, because I needed a cheap flight to, to you know. So, and so I'm in this miserable plane, I've got these miserable things going on, and, and I'm showing up in Estes Park, and no one knows me, and I don't know anyone, and I don't know anything about it, because this guy that runs it keeps everything secret. He just says, show up. So that's how I'm showing up to Estes Park. I was not ready to meet God in Estes Park. Day two in Estes Park. They take us to a place similar to this, but there was a waterfall. It was the spring, May. Waterfall was going down. Now, remember, this is the guy that had this message from God about meeting Jesus at the water's edge. You would think a waterfall would be an ideal place for me to be. Okay, you would think that would be a great place for me to be. That was the loudest, noisiest, most distracting waterfall ever. <laughs> I'm sitting there going, can someone shut off the waterfall, please? You know, this is going through my head, seriously. So then I'm climbing up this hill to try to find a place that's quieter and away from the waterfall. So I climb up, and I get to this rock, and I'm not like a real nature guy. Like, I'll get out there and I'll fake it for a few hours, but I don't really want to be around wildlife. You know, I just don't. I don't like bugs. Corey kills them for me. I don't, I don't, I don't you know. So, so if I get dirty enough, once I'm dirty, I don't think about it. But when I'm, when I, I just don't like it. So here I am, trying to find a comfortable rock. Has anyone tried to find a comfortable rock? There are comfortable rocks. So I'm trying to find a comfortable rock to lay. So, so then finally I find a comfortable rock and I lay down on my rock. I have my journal, my pen, and my hand, which are very common things. And, uh, and, and I lay down on this rock and I fell asleep. I don't fall asleep in nature. Like, I don't even like falling asleep when we're camping in a RV. So I'm just sleeping out on a rock. And, and, and all of a sudden, I don't know what it was, but I woke up, like, wide awake. I don't know if anyone's ever had that experience. Like, I was sleeping. I didn't know I was sleeping. And I, I just woke up completely wide awake. And it wasn't audible. But it was the words, believe and trust me for the answer. Believe and trust me for the answer. And I went, oh, i got to write that down. So I wrote it down immediately. <coughs> and as I wrote it down, a bird flies over. Now you would think there would be a lot of birds, right? There weren't any birds. The bird flew over, boom, lands on this, on this little um, sapling of a tree, you know, like it's just the bird lands on it and the branches are like this, you know. And I go, Matthew 6. Birds of the air, they not labor or spend or sorrow in barns, but that your heavenly Father would keep them. And I went, I gotta get to the water. So I grab my stuff and I go down to the waterfall and I just sit there worshiping God. And and what ended up happening, I want to share with you. This is the journal I had actually, and you can tell it's kind of been on a journey with me. And uh, and it all hit me. And actually, this just hit me this last week. Preparing us to go into that place, they asked this question. The question was, do you still believe that God can speak? And this is what I wrote. God, you know that I believe that you can and you speak. I know that you speak. What is troubling to me is that I do not seem to be able to hear you. I am tired. I am discouraged. I am worn out. I am bored. Lord, you know what my struggles are. You know my fears. You know my emptiness. And you know my anger. You know the anger of my heart. And you know my heart, I'm sorry. 
requires people to step beyond their perceived limitations, and I stopped visiting the water. See, so let's think about the verses here. Jesus meets Peter, Simon, Peter, at the water's edge. He says, climb into my boat. And the first thing we need to learn there is, are we willing to meet Jesus at the water's edge? Are, are we willing, when Jesus thinks, God enters our life, are we willing to say, hey, climb into my life situation? Because what would have happened was, this is true, God wants to climb into the situations of our lives, and he wants to meet us where we are, so he can take us where we never dreamed of being. And yet I had constructed this world around me that inadvertently crowded Jesus out. Here I was trying to serve him, wanting to be his guy, but I had inadvertently crowded him out. Everything else got noisier. Everything else got noisier. And as everything else got noisier, I couldn't hear the voice of God, and I wasn't necessarily seeing the water's edge moments in my life, those moments where you come up, you think everything's bad, but Jesus is right there to meet you. And that's what we see in Simon Peter's life. Jesus was right there to meet him. And he said, cast out a little. So the question becomes, are you willing to meet Jesus at the water's edge? Those moments in your life where you're just kind of feeling a little bit stuck. Those moments in your life where the noise is getting to be too much. That even things like a waterfall become too noisy. That should be a beautiful sound, but it was so noisy, so distracting to me. <laughs> but once I met Jesus and I heard that same sound, it was no longer noise. It was actually really comforting to go back down by the water and just listen. The second thing that we see in the story here in Luke chapter 5, and it's in verse, the next few verses, I think it's verses 4, 5, and 6, is Jesus finishes speaking to the crowd, and then he looks eye to eye with Simon in the boat, and he goes, um, now I'm going to talk to you. And what I'd like you to do, expert fishermen, is uh, it's the daytime, it's the wrong time of the day to fish. But let's cast out. Let's go into the deep water. Let's launch out. And and what what Peter does, what Simon does, is the same thing that I would do, or most of us would do, which is go, whoa, 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 whoa. Actually, Jesus, you know about walking on water, you know, but you don't know anything about fishing. You know? And and so here we have this moment where where Simon Peter turns around and goes, Whoa, wait, 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 we fished all night. Don't you know? Like he's telling Jesus for the first time what happened the night before. That's the funny thing. You ever do that? You ever sit there and go, God, God, but you don't understand God. No, he understands everything. You know, he was there with us throughout that whole process and that whole, on every moment that led up to the moment. And so here goes this thing where we have, we have a meeting and he goes, launch out into deep water. And he launches out into deep water. And, and look at what happens in the next few verses, right? He goes, the, the nets become so full that they begin to break. And the boats, he says, you know, calls over another boat, and, and both boats begin to sink. And, and it's subtle. But what happens is, you see Simon Peter say to Jesus, well, master, because he knew he was a master, right, in, in a sense of respect, like rabbi. But then Simon Peter, in a flash, like lightning, turns around, just like I had to wake up on that rock. He turns around, and he sees Jesus face to face for who he really is. It, it, it no longer is... He didn't fall at Jesus' knees because it was, oh, master. He fell at Jesus' knees because it was, Lord God, I'm a sinful man. I, I shouldn't even be in the presence of, this, of you with this miracle and this holiness. The, the gifts are too great.
And now he's meeting God face to face in a real way at the right moment in time. There's a, a, a quote that I love because we have to launch out beyond these perceived limitations. I have, I have to launch out beyond, I have to launch out, still continue even though my mom passed. I have to launch out beyond the struggles with her dementia and the guilt I feel about that as a son. Did I do enough? Did we do enough? I still have to launch out beyond that. Because I have to believe and trust God for the answers, right? That's what he told me to do on that mountain. I have to launch out beyond, oh, it looks like a bad quarter's coming. And I have to believe and trust him for the answers. I have to launch out beyond those things. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and he says, um, I think we have a slide for it. It might be hard for an egg to turn into a bird, but it would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. Can you imagine a bunch of eggs flying around? <laughs> we are all like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely being just a good, ordinary egg. We must be hatched or go bad. And I think sometimes, you know, when Pastor Richie had that illustration up here with the light, I think we come to Jesus and we quickly learn that we enjoy this. This is great, you know, being together, sort of in the locker room, kind of getting our booster shot for the next week, feeling good about who God is in our lives, and then we get scattered. And the reality is in the scattering, a lot of times our, our shells are getting cracked, and we've got to crack out of them. We've got to live outside of the limitation of the shell. Otherwise, we just go bad. And if anyone ever cracked open a rotten egg, yeah, yeah, someone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's bad news, right? And, 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 and we have the opportunity to be flying, to be soaring, to be experiencing God fully. So one of the things that we see happen here in the last few verses is that we see Jesus say, do not be afraid, Peter. And God is so great. Yeah, do not be afraid. And they get the boats back up on shore. And it says, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. And you know, how many of us hear this expression, you, know, you need to come to Jesus. Right? You need to come to Jesus. And what are we saying in that? Right? We're saying, into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But the amazing thing about this story here in Luke is that Peter made a shift. He shifted. Yes, he came to Jesus, but he also decided to go with Jesus. And that scattered church is us going with Jesus. It's going into our workplace. It's going back into our families. It's going back into our community. It's going back into our life situations with Jesus by our side us or believing and trusting that he's equipping us for the next opportunity, for the next moment where we get up to that water's edge and he says, climb, climb aboard. There's a, another quote that I love and it says, uh, laugh at yourself, but don't ever, don't ever aim your doubts at yourself. Now for us, when we say, as a, as a Christ follower, I say don't ever aim your doubts at yourself. It's because as a Christ follower, if I'm aiming my doubts at myself, I'm aiming my doubts at God. I'm saying, God, you haven't equipped me for this. <laughs> And then the quote goes on and says, don't ever leave your, a piece of yourself safely on the shore. Don't ever leave a piece of yourself safely on the shore. Launch out beyond perceived limitations. Let Jesus climb into your lives. So I got home from Estes Park, and 
I was uh, fired up but did not know what to do. Didn't know what to do. Got home, knew that if I went too fast, I missed the whole point, I'd get back into Michael's style again. You know, the, I was doing things my way. So I sat on it, sat on it, sat on it. And I guess I was sitting on it too long. Because what ended up happening was, one day I got invited to a men's breakfast, and I had my sons come with me. This was about a year ago. Had my sons come with me to a men's breakfast, and at that men's breakfast, we sat at a table in the back. We were a little bit late, so we got the cheap seats. And um, and we were sitting in the back table, and it was all the, the late has-beens showing up. You know, we were all late, but, you know, you know, back in the back. And this guy walks in, and the guy who walked in, he sat next to uh, my sons and I, and this guy was a straight-up redneck from Kentucky. Overalls, some sort of printed shirt about being a redneck. I don't know. No, I'm dead serious. He sat with the guy. It just looked like he looked like he got off like, okay, for the older generation, I'm including it, like like off hee haw, you know, like off like off a shit, like like I'm surprised he had a corn top pipe out of his mouth and all that. And the guy sits there, and we learn that he had been a professional musician and toured around the country at 14, 15, 18, you know, in his early years. And so now I'm like, this guy's interesting because anyone who looks like that and then does this, okay, I got the music thing, I, I, you know, okay. Then he goes on and we're talking to him, we're like, someone says to him, where do you live? He goes, oh, I live in San Clemente on the ocean. <laughs> like under the boardwalk? Like we're trying to figure out where. Like, because you can live on the ocean and not have a house, right? So, so we, when we're like, okay, this is interesting. Then we find out he's living in Orange County because he designed a microchip for Verizon, and they bought it from him. So while they're just getting the info from him, he's had a house on the beach with his wife. The guys, like if you've ever been in South Orange County, everyone acts like they have money, even if they don't have money. This guy's acting like he doesn't have anything, and he's got all the money in the world, probably. And I'm sitting there listening to him going, this guy's crazy. And then he writes something down, and he said, it, we had, this is the paper, actually. He, this was the words from the songs. He asked me to borrow my pen, because I always got a pen on me. He borrowed my pen, and he wrote something down. I'm thinking, oh, he must be writing down what the speaker's saying. And this is, then he handed me the paper and my pen, and he left. He goes, oh, you may not like this. Okay, when someone hands you a piece of paper folded up like this, and says, you may not like this, and then walks away, what do you think? No, let's be honest. Like, what do you, are you, how many people are going to open up right away? Well, that wasn't me. Like, a day and a half later, I, maybe a day later, I opened it up and I'm like, okay, I got bad news to read. Let me read what I did wrong. This is what he wrote. Now, I want you to picture, this was a year after, a little short shy of a year after Estes Park. He wrote this. I don't even know the guy's name. Uh, I, you know, nothing about this guy. He wrote, I did not create you, then wrote to me. I did not create you, called you, and gift you to remain on the sidelines. I stand waiting for you my call to activation that you hear in your spirit but resist in your mind and heart. Your reasons for being idle are of man, not of me. Untouched lives will remain untouched while you remain passive. Do not marvel at my call, just answer it. <gasps> Who gets letters like that? <laughs> I'm just 
High Road guys, I was back with them in, in Coronado a year later, and I read this, and guys were like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, let me get a picture of it. And people were like taking pictures, and I feel like I have like a holy document or something. You know, it's really important. So, so here, here's, here's why I'm sharing all of this with you, and why I decided to share some of it as a testimony. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Jesus wants to meet us at the water's edge moment in our lives. Those moments where we come right up against the edge of the water, and we have to make a choice. And he's saying, will you meet me right there? Let me climb into that situation in your life. You know, what's the boat that he needs to climb in in your life? What is the thing that you need to just say, you know what, climb into this situation for me? And then when he climbs into that situation in your life, wants us to launch out into the deep. He doesn't want us to leave a piece of ourselves safely on the shore. He wants us to go full in, 100%. Don't remain an egg that doesn't hatch and, and it goes bad. He wants all of us. And he wants all us to follow him 100% into that, whatever that thing is, whatever that adventure is. And if, you know, look, we can't see much more than a couple hundred feet into the water a lot of times before we lose focus. But he's saying, I, I got you on this. And then when we experience the miracle like this, is to turn around and say, okay, God, I've got you. I know you, I love you, I know you speak. But now when you're speaking directly to me, coming to you was the beginning. Going with you. Going with you wherever you would that's what's next. And the greatest thing is this thing isn't generational. I mean, I was in my 30s when it first came to me. I'm in my almost 50s when I'm dealing with this now, you know. And and my kids are more grown and, and all of this stuff, you know. And God is saying, come to me and go with me. And then our response is, can we leave it and move ahead with it? Can we leave whatever that thing was that we were so toilsome, so important to us, can
Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that, um, that in your word, 